Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the 17th episode of Tales of Tamriel. I am your host, Ajelos, and with me this afternoon, I have my lovely wife, Thais. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. It's, you know, it's kind of chilly, but it's a good day, and I'm, I'm pumped, so I'm good. How about you? How are you? I'm actually kind of hot, but you know me. Every time I do these podcasts, I don't know what it is, but I, I feel like I'm burning up over here. I need like a permanent fan on me at all times. Unfortunately, having a fan on me while doing a podcast would not be good, seeing as everyone would just hear the fan noise in the background. So unfortunately, I must sweat it out. But let's should we continue on with the episode? Okay. Well, we actually have a lot of news uh, to talk about today. Uh, I think they did a pretty much a 180 from last week. Sadly, there's nothing super exciting. <coughs> Craglorn release date. <coughs> but uh, there's still some interesting things we can go over this week, so let's get into it. First off, um, yesterday evening, there were live trial speedruns being hosted by Zenimax. Um, Zenimax put together this little thing where several guilds went, I, I won't say head-to-head, because -head, it wasn't really directly, but at specific times they came on and were competing to finish off, I think it was the Ethereum Volts was the uh, one they were working on, and uh, they actually had several guilds going at this. I know uh, 2 o'clock, German All-Stars as well as uh, Redithum were were trying it out and i tried watching the german the germans but unfortunately when i started watching it and started listening to german i had flashbacks of that one dungeon where they had the german voiceovers messed up so i had to stop and i went over to uh i think reddit doom is the reddit guild and i was watching them and it kind of cracked me up because within like i'll give them props they were trying it with 11 man 11 man 12 man instance but when they went in, <clears throat> there's all this fire on the ground. They're running up. They get up to the step. There's probably, I don't know, from the video, it looked like there was eight flame Atronachs up there, and they got wrecked. It was quite funny. Um, anyway, they were followed up later on every hour, <clears throat> on the hour, to, you know, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock Eastern time, another group of 
of guildies and stuff from different guilds went together and, and uh, attempted to take it out. Um, I actually stopped watching around four, no, it was about five o'clock. And I was watching the Entropy Rising one, and they actually got all the way up to the Celestial Mage, from what I could see, and it looked pretty awesome. I know you were watching for a few minutes with me before you passed out. What did you, uh, what did you think of it? I was there when the one guild died within 10 seconds, and when we were watching it, you could hear them talking, and when they ran up and died, just everyone was laughing, and, well, that only took us uh, 30 seconds, and then we wiped. But it was, it was interesting to watch, although I, I didn't want to watch too much, because I like being surprised with new content. But I, I liked how they did that. They took real guilds and gave them a chance to showcase their skills, to try out this, this new dungeon-type thing, it was it was fun to watch. It definitely was, and I'm actually really excited for it. Um, just judging from uh, the videos and the live streams. Now, <clears throat> given this was based off Entropy Rising, and I know those guys have been on the PTS for a while, so they're they've probably had a little bit of practice. But within that hour stream, they got up to the mage. So I, I imagine it's not real long. Um, I know there's a giant, a giant storm atronach mini boss, if you will, because that's where uh, Redithum ended. And then I stopped watching, came back for Entropy Rising, and they got all the way through to the mage. But I missed that section between there, so I don't know how many bosses there are in it. But it does look fairly difficult, and I am excited to uh, give it a shot. So. Hopefully it, it's difficult and actually will give us something to really sink our teeth into. Even though I, I still kind of fear it might be a little short. But again, you know what? I'm going to reserve judgment on this because I'm going to look at those as being almost like uh, the raid the raid bosses themselves. Because technically they're trying this whole thing out with the zone. So the zone is the raid dungeon, not just you know that the ethereum archives that's just a wing for the boss but anyway if you haven't had a chance to check them out and you don't mind spoilers go out and take a look at them they look interesting to say the least all right we're going to move on to the next section which is the adventures handbook volume one um zenimax did this again this is another one of their community programs that are coming out where they kind of showcase several of um, several guides and stuff from the community to the other players. So they highlighted, let's see, how many did they do here? Oh, <clears throat> they did three. They showed off esofashion.com, so eso-fashion.com. Uh, it's a resource for catal cataloging the appearance of armor sets and weapons in the game. So, you might like that. It's actually funny you said that, because the second one I've already used, because I was completely lost on it. The second one they have listed here is showing Collector's Edition Treasure Maps. And it's a guide giving you the map and its corresponding location. But if you don't want to be entirely informed... Everything is hidden behind spoiler buttons. But if you need a little more guidance, this definitely helps. 
And I think that's from the uh, uh, Dolphy uh, sites that they do a whole bunch of different fan site or it's a fan site um, for a whole bunch of player gods. I think uh, I used it a lot for Guild Wars 2 when we were playing that because um, every time that there was a holiday event, they highlighted everything that you had to do and, and everything like that. So I use that. Finally, they highlight one of my favorite sites that I frequent almost on a daily daily basis. It's Tamriel Foundry, and they did several guides for Spindle Clutch, Banished Cells, and Fungal Grotto. I actually really like their videos. Albeit, you know, I'm, I'm going to say this for those guys. They definitely make it look easier than what I've heard. Now... I've come from a guild that's been like Entropy Rising when we were in Warcraft, like top US 25 rating guild in the US. So we, we've we had that precision, if you will. Um, but I haven't been part of that in years, so I've been out of that number crunching. Now these guys do a great job with all that, but I remember watching one of these, and I think they went through Banished Cells is the one I was watching. And they made it look like a cakewalk. <laughs> they really did. Now, I was talking to several people in our in our own guild, and they were just ranting about how hard the veteran dungeons really were. If you don't have a good group, apparently they are very unforgiving. In Guild Shad, they were pretty much saying that if you have a pug, that's that's it. You are not gonna be able to complete it to have a pre-made group of people to go into these dungeons which that, that that kind of excites me that it has that level of difficulty that you need people who can pay attention so I, I'm glad to hear that you know I actually really like that because um, that brings back days uh, when I was part of like Dark Age of Camelot before anyone ever heard of something called like a looking for dungeon tool and i didn't take my own advice and mute my own phone so that's bad for me um yeah like back in the day before there were any kind of looking for group tool that automatically built you a group you used to have to stand out in town and and look for a group and stuff of that nature but once you found people that were good i remember in dark age of camelot when we were when we were doing XP grinding, I had the same group of seven people, because groups then were, I think, eight people, which was interesting. It's gotten smaller over the years, but a, a single party was eight people. Um, and we found this group of eight people that every time we were on, we'd get whispers back and forth going, hey, let's go do this dungeon. You know, Let's go do CM. Let's go do this dungeon over here or whatever, and we'll grind. Or let's go into, uh, um, the what is that? Oh darn! I'm trying to remember the name, but I'm a I'm a hippie for anyone who's played Dark Age of Camelot. I was a hippie, so there was a special dungeon place where you, or a, a open world area that was all designed to be an elite zone, and we'd all go out there and farm the nightmares for experience. But yeah, it was always the same seven people, and we got to be really good friends. I'm actually still friends with I think two of them now. Like oh, and this was almost 15 years ago. Um, and I still talk with, I think, two of the of the seven, so which is pretty good, because I don't think I talked to near that many people I went to high school with, and that was only a couple years ago. Maybe a few more than I'm willing to admit. Okay, well, I love these community events. They're really cool. 
Do you have anything else you want to say about these community events? No? All right. We're going to move on to the next section. And it is, again, another community event or uh, community program. And this is the featured add-on community program. And they actually did one on Wicket's Framework. We actually wrote an article on TalesOfTamriel.com discussing this, I think, two months? Not Yeah, no, it wasn't two months ago. It was right near the end of beta, if I remember correctly. So we've already already went over this, but it's nice to see them really you know, highlight this one, because this is probably one of the most downloaded add-ons on ESOUI. I personally don't use it, but I nitpick certain things out of it. I use Tamriel, or uh, Tamriel Tactical Foundry Combat. Oh my goodness, guys. Uh, the, the way they, they word that, I, I always get it messed up, but Foundry Tactical Combat, I use a subtitle, that uh, Basgrim's NPC subtitles, and a few other little add-ons. Um, I don't like to change my whole UI too much, and this one is a, it's an MMO UI. Says the person who already has eight add-ons, I have one add-on, just one. I, the only one that I have is the subtitle add-on, nothing else. I'm pretty sure I said I was going to go over and put add-ons on for you, because the way I have them designed, they don't really mess with my UI. Like, my research timers only show up when I'm in a menu. Yeah, no, no, I don't mess with my stuff too often. I yeah, like to see, keep it. I, I don't even need the add-ons to play well, all right? So I'm already better than you. And that's why I'm a higher level. Yeah, I didn't tell you that yet. Hold on. She's angry at me, guys. Okay, we're going to move on to the next section real quick. I actually, this one I really, really like. Yes, I did. I, I only I only tipped over level. We'll talk about that in the tales section. Moving on, forging the mace of Molag Ball. I actually really really like this one. Uh, Geek and Sundry's arcade arms went together and they created the mace of Molag Ball in real life. Um, the video is hilarious. I loved it. What did you think of it? I'm still reeling about the fact that you leveled. Without me, I can't believe you leveled without me. How dare you level without me? All right, we got a show to do here, dear. You can yell at me later. Mason <gasps> Moleg Ball. Okay. Um, I, I did like the video. The girl in the video was really cute too. So, so that helped. And it was it was funny in the end, like them destroying everything they could find. I I, I enjoyed watching the video, and if I was if that mace was put in front of me, I would not be able to pick it up. It's just, I will tell you how much it weighs. He'd be able to swing it around, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to swing it around that long, though, because it's 35 pounds. That is heavy. And the thing is, he, like, the funny part is the the blacksmith that they saw, I've actually seen him before. Like, I've seen his other work, his more conventional work. I actually really enjoy his work because um, I I like blacksmithing as a hobby. So I, I like to look at uh, all these other hobbyist blacksmiths. And his work is really, really nice. He kind of does the whole uh, historical, not really fantasy. So this is kind of out of his, his realm. But what was really neat was they did a brass construction, which is fairly heavy to begin with. But it was... Uh, I'm trying to think of the proper term. 
they couldn't even make it a solid piece. It was essentially four pieces that were welded together, if you will, to create the full mace. So it, I think it's it's called box construction when they do that because otherwise that mace would be like 150 pounds if it was a solid thing of brass. It's it's just too much weight. Um, but 35 pounds is hefty. Um, just to put this in comparison, a real life greatsword. A real life greatsword should not be over five pounds, and five pounds would be considered heavy. The average sword, like the one-handed or the bastard swords, sit at two, two and a half pounds would be about right. Maybe a little bit on the heavy side, depending on how big you wanted it. But five pounds would have been considered very, very heavy, and only these really big burly guys would be swinging these these swords around so 35 pounds is just insane but uh yeah the video was hilarious and i do recommend anyone go out and and watch it because it's good for entertainment value just um just for the sake of it and i really liked it <laughs> all right moving on to the next news article they actually released a video for finding a group now, it's like a seven-minute video for how to use their group-finding tool. I, you know what? I, I actually like it, but uh, if, if you played MMOs in the past, it's worthless for you. It literally is a... It's almost like a... What is that? The uh, Dummy's Guide to Grouping Up. But... For part of the audience that's never grouped up before because they've only ever played single-player um, Elder Scrolls games, it probably would be helpful. But if you played MMOs before ever, any kind of grouping game really, even like Diablo 2, Diablo 3, you probably won't need it. What do you think? I could see no need for anybody who's ever played an MMO to need to actual, actually need to watch this video. But, I mean, hey, if you like extra instruction, then go right ahead and, and look it up, you know? Right, and, and I really think the target audience for this video really were the single-player Elder Scrolls fans who've never played an MMO before. Because, honestly, when I first started, I looked at the group tool, I'm like, okay, that's how it works, got it, and I moved on. But I've seen the same reiteration of group tools for the past 15 years of almost actually probably almost more than that of gaming i actually met someone today while i was playing who this is their first mmo that they've ever played now for that person this video would be great because they're not used to playing with other people or finding groups to do group content with so so i this video was a great idea to do to really help out those players right and and here's something that's kind of interesting that people will have to look at when you're talking about the elder scrolls online as much as some people say this isn't um i guess genre changing it kind of is because a lot of the people who are playing this are fans of the elder scrolls universe and for the past 20 years it's always been single player. So, I mean, you're probably going to see a lot of these 
things that most MMO players will take for granted going, yeah, you don't have to tell us, you know, the yeah, I get it moment. Um, but you got to remember, guys, especially MMO players like myself, Aes, while we've had years decades almost of experience playing mmos there are a lot of people who are just getting into it and you know what's actually really surprising is the mmo market is growing very rapidly hence the huge amount of games being released almost constantly there's always a new mmo coming out 10 years ago there that was not the case an mmo was released and nothing was released again because it was a very niche market I mean, Dark Age of Camelot, one of my favorite games of all time, I think at its max had less than 300,000 players on it. Nowadays, people would say that's a failing MMO. Back in the day, that was amazing. There were like 30 servers. It was it was crazy. Um, but technology changes, of course. And, and you know, of course, Warcraft. Um, you know, I'll say I love Warcraft for what it did. It really opened up the MMO genre to a larger audience unfortunately with that larger audience you don't get as cool of people i'm gonna say it right now it's very true a lot of people i played mmos with decades ago i still play mmos with are you know we're still friends because we build a friendship that would lasted a long time modern mmos are very much they cater to the pick up play and let go type of of gamer where they're not around long enough to build a relationship with of any kind i mean let's face it now um since elder scrolls online has passed over that free month thing i'm sure the subscription numbers have dropped off from the pick up and go players so now it's i'm liking it more because the people who are sticking around are the people who actually like elder scrolls but every time an mmo releases there's always a huge drop off in the player base after the first month because of those pick up and let go gamers that pick it up, play it to death or barely play it at all, say it sucks or whatever. It happens in every game, happened in Warcraft, happened everywhere. And then they leave and go off somewhere else. Content locus. Now it's the people who really enjoy the game and want to play it. And it's really cool. Okay, that was a rabbit trail just talking about grouping tools. But, uh,. It happens, and everyone who listens to our show probably understands these little rabbit trails. We're going to move off to the next section of the news. Patch 1.08 was released. And with this patch, I'm going to read the overview. The Elder Scrolls Online version 1.08 contains fixes to quest issues and blockers in addition to fixes for the Mac client. So I'm going to go over the patch notes up until the quest stuff. I'm not going to read the quest stuff. If you want to read the quest stuff, you can find it on the official forums. You can find it on TSO Elite. They always put up write-ups of this. And a bunch of other uh, fan sites will put up the notes. Um, so if you're looking, if a quest has been giving you issues, go out and look and see if you can find it. But there's been three interesting notes here. Um, combat and gameplay, werewolf, fixed an issue where werewolves could use devour on the same corpse multiple times. If I remember correctly, the werewolf devour skill was what they used to level up. I could be wrong, I'm not a werewolf. But that has been fixed. 
They've also fixed two things with the Mac client where they fixed a an issue with a graphics-related memory leak and an animation-related memory leak. So that should help out the Mac players. So that's all I really had in the notes other than Quest fixes. So if you've been having issues with a, a bug Quest, stop by, look at the notes. They're all broken down by zones, so you'll know where your problems are at, and you can check it out. All right. So uh, actually, as I'm looking through, they probably have 30, uh, 35, 40 different quests fixes in here, so that's pretty good. Um, the one nice thing that's kind of neat is these notes are getting smaller and smaller. Like, they really are. They're getting really tiny. Like, I remember the first couple, patch 1.02 was huge with quest fixes. So it's getting tinier as we go along, and that's really cool. All right, the next news article we did was the Battlemaster's Corner, the Resto Warrior. Now, all I'm going to say is... This is exactly how I play. <laughs> I mean, I play the Holy Warrior archetype, but I'm I, I don't play the the classical paladin such as uh you know like if you follow some other of the ESO podcast celebrities, if you will, a Varwin is the classic paladin as you would know him as the sword and board tank. I generally don't do that. I am the for lack of a better word, if you look back at other games, Paladins were always Defenders. Templars, even though it's the same thing, Templars before were the heret or not heretical, but uh, zealots, if you will, the kind of let's destroy everything that doesn't agree with us. That's the kind of play style I do. And this is really cool. It's a frontline support loadout. Um, it's neat because he's using a Templar class, and the way he's doing this is he's using a two-handed weapon and using the... He has actually, for his primary loadout, he has Cleave, Critical Charge, and Reverse Slash. Now, he does morph them to Carve, Stampede, and Executioner. Main reason for Carve, and actually I plan on doing something similar to this, I want to try this out, it actually got me interested, is... The way Carve works is every time it hits someone, it's an it's an AOE cleave, but every time it hits someone, it gains ultimate. And ultimate's just amazing. Because Templars have some pretty neat ultimates. They really do. And of course he has his stampede, his critical charge. So that's nice for chasing down those those people who like to stay at range. And of course, Executioner, I actually have that on my two-handed build as it is, and it it is a killing blow attack. It's generally if anyone's played World of Warcraft, it would it would be what would be considered the the under twenty percent skill, the the finisher, the execution phase kind of stuff, where after they get below a certain hit points, it does a lot of damage, and this is what it does, and it's really cool, really really cool. Of course, he has Breath of Life as his healing, which is the standard heal that heals allies as well. And he also does something cool with restoring aura, a.k.a. he morphs it to radiant aura. And radiant aura is a passive regeneration, which increases the Templar's regeneration for stamina and I think health, if I remember, um, by like 15% at all times. And he can then use it, and it actually, I think when he does radiant aura, or it heals instead of 
does regeneration, which is really cool. And of course, he has the ultimate of Soul Strike. Um, I heard Soul Strike is really powerful, actually. I was not planning on using it, but uh, I heard Road from Tisocast give it really high, uh, really high praise. That it is a really powerful single target ultimate, like a lot of damage. And just looking at the numbers, even though it's a channeled ability, it is a lot of damage. So I can't wait to unlock that. I think we unlock it when you finish the main story. Um, okay. What do you think of his first loadout? I know you don't really play Templar, Thais, but... I'm actually really interested in playing a Templar. When, when we're done getting our mains to 50, the, the one class that I'm most excited to try out is the Templar, which is weird because I don't like heavy armor. And the Templar is a lot like, you know, that the Paladin would be with the heavy armor and the shield and the sword. That's what I picture in my head. But, but I do. It, it just sounds like it's such an interesting class that I, I can't wait to try it out. And especially with how he looks like his build is, I like the skills that he's using. And it, this is actually something I could see myself trying on my own Templar. I think it'd be a lot of fun to play. Well, you've seen me on my two-handed. I don't quite use this build, but even you've said how I pretty much wreck face with my two-handed build and my uh, uh, biting jabs ability. I just rip through stuff. I'm pretty much, you know, just sneezing on enemies, not doing any damage, and he's running up and just, you know, chopping faces off, and it always makes me sad. I run up and I, I just tell her to follow me half the time. I said, just follow me. She's like, you're pulling lots of enemies. I'm like, I know, just follow me. I'm running up going, oh, I'm pulling everything. And then I just drop a Nova and cleave everything down. I love my Templar. He's amazing. And then I'm standing, stuck standing there, healing, heal, heal. Babe, don't die. Please don't die. <laughs> oh, it works. And, that, and that's why we have that dynamic together. You you heal me and I pull everything on the entire map. That's how we do it. So, if you're interested in actually building like a two-handed um two-handed Templar build, you should check this out. It actually looks pretty neat and I really like it. I plan on trying it out once I uh, finish off some of my crafting stuff and respec. Alrighty. So the final bit of news we have for this week is there was an Ask Us Anything uh, Variety Pack 14. And oh my goodness, I said it right the first time. Wow. I never get that word right. I always get tongue-tied. Okay, so I love these AMAs. So let's go Let's go back and forth. I'll read the, uh, the question ask, and you go ahead and give us the answer. First off... I don't start working until 1 p.m., and I like to play some games before I leave at noon. Why is the NA server down for maintenance every morning? Our regular maintenance windows for the North American Mega Servers are now Monday mornings at 8 a.m. and Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. The duration of these maintenances varies based on the maintenance being performed. Outside of these windows, we do not perform maintenance unless it is absolutely necessary to ensure a stable play experience for all of our customers. Most maintenance periods will not will last for no more than a few hours. During these times, we deploy patches, server optimizations, database updates, 
hardware upgrades, and perform other routines that keep ESO running smoothly. We've adjusted our regular maintenance times to impact the fewest players possible based on time zone, player population, and regions of the world served by that mega server. All right, um, I'm gonna say something right here. I feel bad for the guy, but uh, good sir, if you're playing at those weird times, why are you playing on the US mega server? Play on the EU mega server. Like seriously. Like people who complain like this for these times, you do realize servers need maintenance. They do. And when do you do it? You do it when it's the least impactful. And I'm sorry, the guy who d does this, and I feel for you, I really do, because nothing sucks worse than, you know, wanting to log on and the server being down. Unfortunately, I, I guess the I guess you got to look at it from Zenimax's point of view. They have to take it down at some point. But when you look at the people who log in and the numbers and stuff like that, the prime playtime is really probably around 7 p.m. Eastern Time through probably 3 in the morning Eastern Time, if you count the uh, Pacific, the, oh, for the U.S. So if you're logging in at 8, 9 in the morning, I'm sorry, the amount of players on then are probably less than, you know, 15, 20% of the normal load. Because let's face it, most of the people, most, play during prime time not at the weird hours if you're having issues honestly dude with the hours that you have here you really should be playing on the uh, uh european mega server because that you'd actually probably log on during their prime time and would have players to play with i mean otherwise deal with the maintenances and of course you know it doesn't matter like you can't really say hey oh it's zenimax this go play warcraft every tuesday down for a couple hours Every Tuesday. Now, given they've had, you know, a lot of years, and I, I imagine that as Zenimax gets better with their when their server crews get better at knowing what they're doing and stuff like that. Not saying they don't know what they're doing, but it's their first MMO. It takes practice, really, to learn how how the maintenance goes. And as they get better, the times will get shorter, and they may even condense it down to one day a week. You know, but that's one day a week is standard. And unfortunately, because you you're obviously, I'm guessing, an American in in the U.S. or Canadian, you're playing on the U.S. mega server. And if you're playing during that morning time, that's what's going to happen. Consider switching to EU if this really bothers you, and then you won't face it. Because the EU mega servers go down around three or four in the afternoon our time, I think, is what every I get the uh, messages. So. You will be safely at work and it will not be bothering you. All right, we're going to move on to the next question. So I've been trying to find... Oh, oh, so I'm trying to figure out how to hold decent aggro and it's just not working out right. On bosses, I hit them with Ransack and it doesn't even do anything. I can empty my magic and stamina with offensive abilities and it just seems like bosses don't care about abilities. They just randomly attack players. There are two taunt abilities in the game, Inner Fire and Puncture. Puncture, which morphs into Ransack, will definitely taunt a boss or any creature off of a teammate. Repeated uses of this ability, however, don't taunt the boss any more effectively. 
Use it once and give the enemy time to reacquire a target. You. If the enemy was in the middle of an attack, it won't pull off your teammate immediately. Also, remember that other actions, such as damage and healing, may cause the enemy to reacquire those targets, even if it is focusing on you already. Using your taunt at those times is important. Remember that you don't want all of the enemies on you. Your other teammates will likely have enemies engaging them as well. In a boss situation, if used sparingly and in a timely manner, Ransack will allow you to hold and effectively tank the boss. You can also hold the boss by being the sole damage dealer on it and dealing a lot of damage, but the boss is more likely to reacquire if you don't use some kind of taunt. You know, tanking in this game is difficult, because it's not like... It actually kind of reminds me of uh, vanilla Warcraft tanking. Not the abomination that it's become in later games. And I know you're going to argue with me, I'm going to let you argue here in a second. Because she's given me the thing here. But tanking is boring in Warcraft later on. Before it was actually a challenge. And that's what it's at now. Okay, I'm going to let you go ahead and say what you're going to say. I completely disagree. I will never, ever tank in ESO. Because to me, what? So you want me to cancel that order for the sword and shield you wanted me to build, right? Because you told me you wanted it, and you wanted to try tanking. Oh. Now I, can, I can't I can tank, ever. There's going to be a cancellation fee, because you've already, already put it out there. you still got to pay for the mats. Sorry. Fine. I, I will pay, it and I will, I will get it. I'll just mount it on my wall in my soon housing unit, okay? <laughs> when housing comes out. <laughs> when housing comes out, that, that will be where it is. But I will never tank in ESO, because to me, this tanking, is an abomination. I don't enjoy it. I think it's stupid. There's not enough skills. You can't do your job effectively. There's not, you don't have enough defensive. There's not enough heals. I, I could never tank because I'm used to tanking in WoW where I have all these crazy abilities and I have my, my rotation and I have my amazing health pool. And when I started tanking in WoW, it was phenomenal. It, it was amazing. I was a, a feral druid, the, just the bear, and you know, I would growl and I would get aggro and, and I could effectively hold aggro without needing to do all kinds of insane things to keep it, which is a tank's job. You're supposed to hold aggro. I feel like I shouldn't be fighting everyone else in my party for aggro because I'm the tank. It should be mine. If everybody else is pulling off me, that is their fault. They need to learn to control themselves, not me. So tanking here, there's just... You, you just don't have enough. There's just not enough. There is enough. But you gotta remember, people aren't used to that type of gameplay. Like they're saying right here, taunt will work. But people need to understand what a taunt is. Every time you do damage, you're, you're getting something called threat. And every time you have a few points of threat, um, we'll just say a standard sword and board attack, I'm generating constant one threat, one threat, one threat. Every time I hit him, okay, and the number keeps going up, whoever has the highest number is the one the monster is going to go towards. But you also got to take into account that every time a person does an ability, 
that does another set number of threats. So heal is 10 threat, 10 threat, 10 threat. So my one threat, one threat, I'm going 1, 2, 3. You're going 10, 20, 30. And that, if we are just constantly sitting here spamming heals or me swinging my sword. A taunt literally goes, you know, I'm doing 1, 2, 3, 4. You're doing 10, 20, 30. I taunt, I'm at 31. It gives me just enough threat that I'm the highest on the threat table. Unfortunately, that doesn't stop the other people from continuing to gain threat. And that's where tanking, while it is important, and I like the type of tanking here because it does require you to fight for aggro because that is your job. You're supposed to hold it. But as such, it's a group gameplay thing where if a... I don't care if someone's out there with a fire staff and is pulling out massive crits. Maybe he needs to stop and let his threat go back down. You can't just go all, you know, balls to the wall damage and hope that the tank can hold it. Because it's not, no matter how much he tries, he can generate threat at a very steady rate. And then has an emergency, the taunt, to, you know, throw himself on top. Damage dealers and healers have more erratic so while if you look at it in terms of i'm going to pull out some math here if this were a a a bar chart you know or not bar chart but a graph you'll see the the graph for a uh a tank be a very steady curve upward whereas threat for dps and healers is more stagnant shoot up down shoot up down shoot up it's very more it's erratic so you have to keep yourself under the threat of that gentle curve upwards in threat for the what the tank is trying to do. I know, and this is one of the hardest things people need to learn. It's called restraint. Going, oh my goodness, I just hit a crit. Maybe I should, you know, not automatically throw off another attack again. Let let's lose some threat here. Cause it's very real life. I'm sorry, if someone's fighting me. And I have you fighting me, and I have some bigger guy fight, you know, fighting me. I'm going to ignore you, even if you're supposed to be the tank. I'm sorry, my dear, but you're not going to do as much damage as the other guy. So I'm going to focus. I'm not just going to let some other guy sit there and throw stuff at me when you're hitting me with a pillow. I'm going to ignore you, and I'm going to go after the guy who's really causing me issues. But what if my pillow is filled with rocks? You couldn't lift it then. We already talked about the mole like ball mace. That is true. You got a point. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it, it is definitely hard to hold it in this game, but there is something called diminishing returns as well. You can't sit there and spam taunt and hope it grabs it. Um, I've recently switched over to sword and shield, and the taunt works. Like, when we do the groups, if I hit them with the taunt, they will turn and face me. But if I don't keep threat on them and if i turn to go hit someone else they will turn back at you well considering on my mage it's like i'm fighting with a pillow no wonder you can hold aggro so there you go well see there it is you're just not generating as much threat as i can hold (laughs) so i mean it, it is there but people need to learn it is a group effort if you're doing big crits maybe you need to hold out a lot and as a tank you know save your taunt for when it's needed you know and don't try to again it's not not the modern mmos like other games you don't hold everything 
you hold the most important target the one that's going to cause the most damage you're not going to be able like you know in warcraft where you could run in and grab everything with your bear tank and just hold it you pick out the one guy who you know is if he if he cleaves he's going to kill everybody and then you'll you know yeah tank everything I pull everything, but then I just let everyone else handle it. I'm like, yeah, there you go. Good job. All right. We beat that to death. All right. How does boss loot in group dungeons work in ESO? Do bosses of every instance have a loot table, or do they just randomly drop some soul stones and a random green-blue item? In the group dungeons, the bosses do have their own special loot tables. And you know what that means? Because it is instance loot, guys. That means if you only got the soul stem and, or soul stem, soul, soul stone and random blue-green items, it means that you rolled your dice, you didn't get something. Unlike other games that the loot's on the boss, every time you down the boss, it's a guaranteed, oh, this is what the boss dropped. Now it's more... Think LFR from Warcraft, where you down a boss and... You may get something because it's an individual role. So he has a list of items and it goes, okay, if you're, it, you know, you got a dice that rolls to six. If it's one to four, you get nothing. If it's five or six, you'll get something. And then we'll roll again to figure out what on the, on the loot table you get. So if you kill a boss and all you get is soul stones or a random blue green, it means you didn't get the special item. Like you did not qualify for that secondary roll to see what you get from the loot table. We ran some level 35 dungeons this week, or last week, and I think I got two or three uh, artifact quality stuff. Pretty much any purple quality item that was on that boss, I got, and I got nothing. I pretty much walked away from every boss with a soul stem. Soul, yeah, stem. soul stem. Soul stem. That's what we're calling them from now on. Soul stems. So, it, it is. It's just essentially you get two rolls. If you get higher than this number, you qualify for loot on the special loot table. We'll roll and you'll get a random item. You know, there's six items. One gets you the first item. Six gets you the last. Anywhere in the, in the middle. So that's what you do. You get two rolls. If you only get the trash stuff it means you didn't qualify to get something from the loot table but they do exist because i've actually gotten i think i got a an artifact level sword yeah but the one item that i got i already had because someone else had run the dungeon and given it to me so after i got it, it was the same name everything like that i'm like oh this is where he got it from and that's yeah i i got it so i broke it Got a grain solvent out of it. It's pretty nice. All right. Are there any plans to modify how chests are handled in private dungeons? As these are often run by pickup groups, either via the finder or zone chat, there's a pretty major scope for fallout over chest. Yes. Starting in the Craglorn update, once a chest has been lockpicked, lockpicked, all group members will have access to loot instanced to that party member. This means everyone in a party gets loot from a chest. Including soul stems. Yes, I always need more soul stems. I die a lot. More stems, the better. Indeed. I, I think this is, of course, 
based off at well the controversy of the people not helping aka you and running off and unlocking all the chests because here's the thing because in the later dungeons how how the loot works you have a far greater chance of when you kill a boss not getting anything off the loot table because it is it's like a 10% chance that you'll get that bonus extra roll to win something um so I, people were looting the chest and that had a better chance for items and i actually seen videos of troll people actually waiting for the tank to pull running off unlocking the chest and then coming back so like they weren't even helping and they would sit back there and wait for people to go and do it it was not a very good time and my uh my wife over here seems to be laughing so why is it that you are laughing my dear because I've done that before. <laughs> How often do you do that? Um, fairly often. <laughs> I think. But, but but then again, when we run dungeons, we're over leveled and we're with a guild group. So if you're all running in and I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna go find a dungeon. I'm gonna go find a chest to open. Oh look, there's one over there. And then I'll run off. I'll toss a heal out first. I'll scamper off to the chest. I think the word you're looking for is always do this. Unfortunately, they are nerfing your ability to do this in the Craglorn patch, and you'll no longer be able to do it. And that makes me so sad, because you already get all the loot off the bosses. Every, the other people that we always run with, those two other people, they always seem to get loot. I am the only one that never gets loot from a boss. So if they take them chests away, I'm going to get nothing. <laughs> nothing. Well, they'll all have soul stems. As long as I get them soul stems, uh, then, then I'll be happy. Alright. Yes. Moving on to the next question. Right now, bots are farming public dungeon bosses and ninja porting to gather nodes. Where are you on this issue? We currently find bots that are farming and remove them from the game as quickly as possible. We're always looking at other methods to discourage and reduce the amount of botting. However, the issue is tricky because we don't want to hurt normal players by changing the gameplay or implementing draconian measures. So the methods we use have to be well considered and involve many people. You know, as much as I hate botters, there's a couple things that are good about this game. First off, if you play an MMO, you're used to it. Guild Wars 2 was terrible with botters when it first came out. They were everywhere. Whether or not they're still there, I'm not really sure. I think they kind of got flushed out. Now, I'm sure they're still there. Warcraft has been out for 10 years now, almost 10 years. Coming up on 10 years, there are still botters in that game. And there will be, um, because people learn how to get around the system, and they and they will. I think once ZeniMax gets a handle on how to get rid of the majority, which they will, they'll find out what they're using to, you know, really do a lot of their botting, and they'll cut those things out, like chop it off at the knees, and then the the uh, hackers and stuff will have to find, and botters will have to find other methods, and that will eventually lower the amount of botters that we have. But they, will they ever go away? No. No, they won't. But you can already see a, a marked decrease in the botters. 
there's a lot of times I'd be reaching for a node and it would just disappear right as I'm mid grasp because some invisible botter is somewhere doing what he needs to do. But even that alone has decreased significantly. And with the public dungeons, since they changed how that looting works, there's practically none in, in the public dungeons. They're doing a great job coming down on these hackers. And, and I give them a lot of praise for doing as well as they are. One thing that I haven't seen in a very long time is from time to time you'll actually see game masters in the game shouting off that going, game master so-and-so is in this zone. If you see any botters, message me where they're at and they come down and just clear them out. Like instant banhammer them right there. And it's really cool. I haven't seen that in a long time. I don't think I've seen that since BC and Warcraft. Like that was the last time I saw an actual GM in the game was in BC Warcraft. The last time I saw an actual GM in the game was um, Maple Story about two years ago or so, coming down on Hackers. If anyone heard the game that I actually just said, because I'm not going to say it again, I'm a gigantic nerd. But yeah. Just so you know, in editing, I'm going to turn that up so everyone can hear it. So I'm going to like turn the decibels up uh, really loud when you mumbled that so everyone can hear what you just said. Please don't do that to me. <laughs> but yes, I remember a time when Game Masters were very frequent in games, but not so much anymore. Right. Well, it's it's definitely they they've definitely made a huge a huge cut in at least the visible ones. I still think the the flying ones like the uh speed porters and stuff like that are still around. Thankfully, they're not as noticeable. And as I was saying earlier, the one nice thing about this game is without a public auction house, which is awesome, you have to hawk your wares or use a guild store. So that significantly lowers the amount of money in the game. It's kind of like with the duping, uh, the duplicating bug they had a few weeks ago. In Warcraft, that would have destroyed the economy. There would have been people with millions of gold already because there was a centralized global auction house there's not here so it's harder i could sit there with thirty thousand um tempering alloys okay and right now in our on where we're at i see them going for around two to three k unless i was sitting there in town trying to hawk them out going selling this you know you can't just throw them up on an auction house and be invisible. You have to be there and do that. Unfortunately, with a lot of these, I'm going to say it, Chinese botters, because we all know that's who's doing it. I think the name they have alone would make people flag them as as uh, as botters. Plus, probably the bad English, such as wanting to buy for you. <laughs> you know, just like bad English would everyone go, I think they're a botter. And would report them. So they don't generally do that because, let's face it, the, le the the less time they spend farming, they're not making money. So it's inefficient for them to have to sit there and hawk their wares. That's not something they will do because that's wasted gold to them in reality. All right, uh, moving on. What's your purpose in making guild stores for guild members only? Why not make them for everyone? You know what? Pretty much what I just said there, good person. 
but the actual answer is our goal is to make the economy more player-based, but not to have a system that allows you to find anything at any time because there are so many players involved on a mega server. With extremely large communities, low percentage drops can become highly available in auction houses. It ends up harming the gear chase portion of the game. I'm going to say this, and while I know you'll probably disagree for one point, but you'll have to also agree with me on this, Guild Wars 2 had the global auction house across all servers, okay? And that economy was terrible. There were a few items you could make money on, you could find stuff, but what happened to the most common items when people got up to max level? They were going for vendor price what you could sell them to a normal NPC vendor for, and technically then you would be losing money because the auction house cut would come into it. And That's what happens when you play on a mega server like this, and it's a huge, a huge economy because with everyone playing, it's there's too much supply, not enough demand, to the point where everyone keeps undercutting themselves until it's not worth anything. Nothing is worth anything. And that's what happens. Yes, this guild store system is very hard. I'll say it's it's harder to use because you have to go out. And if your guild store doesn't really have it, you have to hawk your wares or go out into town and look for it. But it makes it so that you can still make money. You know, if everyone on the server could post on one board, what would happen? Everything would go for next to nothing because everyone would undercut. I'd put up my... Uh, my stack of iron ore for like a thousand gold the next person would go 999 well when millions of players start doing that it's going to go down to nothing and i might as well just take it to a vendor and trash it because it'll be that much money i i do agree although with with because you knew i was going to say this in guild wars 2 i was one of the only people that was making money i don't know how that was but I just, I always had more money than you. It's the only game where I was ever able to be rich was Guild Wars 2. And I don't know why that was, but I always made money. But that auction house type was terrible. It was the worst possible decision. But I understand why they did it, though. I understand. But these guys here, great decision to make it where you have to have your trading guilds. It, it's such a wonderful decision. Because not only that, now you're being forced to talk to other players. And it's opening up the community where you have to talk to people. Because I've been realizing more and more lately that MMOs are for people who don't want to associate with anybody else. You're playing an MMO. What? <laughs> you know, it's a perfect example is, yeah, with the active community actually just before we started the show it's a perfect example you find people that can do what you want and then you add them to your friends list and you go back to them like i was i was trying to earn money for my my final horse or my upgraded horse i was very close so i was sitting there and i saw someone going wanting to buy an item with a certain trait and i messaged them and went i can make that for you so i made it they paid me, and I went my own way. Later on, I found another guy who was doing the same thing. So I said, hey, I can make both of those, because he wanted uh, a shield with both an impenetrable and a, a Mundus stone enchant on it. 
I said, I can make both of those. And he's like, well, how much do you want? And I, I quoted my, my gold price, and he, he took it. I gave him the stuff and left, and I, I went back to kind of mess around in my bank. And about 10 minutes later, I got a message, a whisper, going, hey, do you, can you also make armor? And I said to him, I'm like, well, what do you need? And he rattled off his list of items going, I need uh, certain traits for this item, this item, this item, this item. And I went and I'm like, yes, I can do that. I'm like, if you provide me the mats, this is the price I'll have. Or I can use my mats for this price. And we worked out a deal and I made all the things for him. So he came back to me because I made him his first thing. And now he came back to me and I made all this money that I could buy my other horse because I sat there and I had to be, you know, I couldn't just interface with a auction house interface. I had to talk to the guy. He told me what he wanted. I said, this is what I'll do it for. We made our deal and we went and he came back and it was, it was awesome. I really liked it. So I, I prefer the hawking of wares. I'm, it makes things a little harder to find, but at the same time, when making things harder to find, it makes you feel special when you have it. If you have an item that's kind of rare and it, it's, you know, even if it's only slightly rare, it becomes more rare when people can't just buy it off of an auction house. You can sit there and kind of wave it around and be like, yeah, I have this. It's not on your guild store. You know, that's what it is. And I like it. I like it a lot. So, all right, let's see here. Next question. Will you be going for a certain tank healer DPS setup in Trials? Not really. You'll need all of them, to be certain, but in which proportions will be up to you. Also, roll switches are a weapon swap away. You'll probably need to be ready to weapon swap to be effective. I mean, it's kind of self-explanatory they're saying we're not saying that you need to have this this or this you'll have to figure out what your group needs so i like it and people have to learn to adapt to a certain how your people function so cool i just saw a number of resurrections that they will allow in trials do you really expect it to be that difficult for some people along with the 1.5 hour maximum estimate Yes, we expect people will die quite often in trials. I really like that answer. <laughs> you know, me too. And actually, like I said, um, when I was watching those the PTS streams, it took Entropy Rising was doing the one trial, and they were doing it for hour spots. By the end of the hour, they were up to the Celestial Mage. But they were there for the full hour, and to my knowledge, they didn't down it until after. I think they kept going, and they kept trying, um, and they eventually got it. But even those guys who have been on the PTS for quite a while took over an hour to get through the trial and to, to beat it. Now, some of the other guys who I was watching, I think they spent their entire hour on just clearing the trash and up to the Bannermen. It took them quite a while. So, I mean, it, it's going to be difficult. And I'm assuming each of the people that were in this, because they were, you know, being, uh, I will say, uh, televised and advertised here, that they probably practice more than just threw a group together and hopped in. I'm sure they've been in it before. Because I don't know about you, but if Zenimax came to me and said, hey, we're going to stream your group, I would be like, guys, we got to get in there like a day or two. I don't want to look like an idiot when we get in there. You know, that's just me. 
Because nothing's worse and more embarrassing than sitting there for your hour spotlight and not being able to clear trash. You look like a fool. You do that privately. And then you come in and then you look better. You don't tell anyone you wipe 900 times. You just, yeah, we're awesome. All right. So, next question. Will loot in Trials be handed out randomly as it is in the rest of the game, or will a group leader have the ability to distribute loot in whichever way they want? Trial loot, like loot in the rest of the game, is instanced per player. Trial items are given out by two systems that are used in other parts of the game. Every opponent you kill in a trial has a chance to randomly drop loot, with bosses having a guaranteed chance to drop several items for each player from a large list of possible items. The trials will also have a weekly reward for completing them, given out by the Undaunted, which functions similarly to how hireling rewards have been given. Each player gets a box that contains a random reward. Um... I know some people aren't going to like this, especially the the guilds that are that do DKP and stuff like that. It's worthless in this game. So I know some of the higher level guilds, like I, I think they're going to have a hard time attracting those type of players. Depends how difficult it really is. But I don't know, like because I know a lot of the higher end raiding guilds and in, in other games are DKP related, like they have a loot master who does all of that. But that shouldn't be a problem, though, because having that system, because we had, you know, we had a loot council for our guild when we did WoW, it added a lot more stress trying to decide who was going to get what, why they were going to get it. And this type of system, it relieves all that stress. You no longer have to worry, did Joe Schmo get the loot that he deserved because he just died six times in a row. Whereas this player's only been here for two weeks, just whooped butt. But do they really deserve a reward because they haven't been here that long? So this, this I think, is, is the perfect way to give out loot. It goes with the rest of the game. It's, it's great. I, I like it. I like it too. I, I just think some of the hard hardcore raid guilds won't like it. They like that sense of control where they can gear out their best players, if you will, and uh, move towards progression that way. But again, with this game, technically you can have the best gear just by crafting it. So, I mean, I'm sure if any of the big guilds that do, you know, like sponsored raiding and stuff come to this game for, you know, if the trials are that difficult and it, you know, there's a reason to do it, kind of like Warcraft has its raiding scene. If they can build up that scene, they may come anyway, but I have a feeling they'll have dedicated crafters where they'll walk in with max level gear and do the stuff. So I don't think they'll care as much. Okay, so that is it for news this week. And the end of that, ask us anything. We're going to move on to our next section, which is our Tales of Tamriel section, where... We get to regale you guys with the tales of our adventures. Spoiler alert. Okay, yes, of course, I'll do the spoiler. Um, if you at all do not want to be spoiled for the storyline, we try to keep all spoilers to a minimum, but just given the nature of how we talk about stuff, certain 
storyline themes will be given away. If you wish to skip this section, we do have a timestamp table at the bottom of the podcast description that you can go ahead and skip to the next section, which will be our dramatic reading. So if you want to skip and don't want to see any spoilers, please do so now. Okay, so we were beginning our tales again where we left off last week. We were adventuring throughout East March, and I do believe we ended last week with an assault at Fort Amal, and King uh, Yorun was poisoned by assassins. So we needed to enlist the aid of the Tyrian monks and the Dreamwalker. So, Thais, I know when we walked through Fortimal, when we came to Fortimal, they were having a high council there. That's essentially what it was. They were trying to figure out what to do about um, Filgar Orkthane and all the trouble he's been causing throughout East March. One of the things we did was we were adventuring around a little bit and if you know our play, I'm kind of systematic in the way we play, but we kind of finished part of the quest a little early. Not really early, but we found someone that which would have led into it because we were doing some book hunting earlier that week. And we came and we found a village taken over by trolls. It was kind of neat. It was Darkwater Crossing. And it's kind of neat to see it because you can find Dark Water Crossing in Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. It is not near as nice as it is there. Well, you know what? I should take that back because um, it was kind of on fire and covered by trolls. So I don't know about you, but trolls kind of bring down the property value a little bit. I mean, if I came to buy my house where I live now and they're like, Yeah, it's a nice house. You got this, 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 and this. Oh, but there's possible trolls in your backyard. That's going to lower the price. I'm just going to say it because they're hard to kill. So we were there and we were fighting off all these trolls. And they were actually giving us pretty good loot. I know we were farming them for a little while because they were dropping their fell hide. Which sold for like nine gold a piece. And they were dropping soul stems. Soul stems, yep. Lots of soul stems. I think that was on a little rarer side, but we were also getting, I think, Fellhide as well. Yeah. Um, and we were both working on clothing. And uh, so, you know what? I totally forgot to talk about our characters again in the beginning. So we're going to do that at the end again. But I should have done... you got to remind me these things. No? Okay. <gasps> I'm lucky if I can remind myself to breathe every few seconds. Because I just... Yeah, my, my brain's never there. I'm often in La La Land somewhere. Huh. Anyway, talking about La La Land. So we went and found this cave where all these Argonians were hiding. And one of them has the title of Dreamwalker. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what he does? He was really, really awesome. Because, okay, his title was the Dreamwalker. And he had the ability, by using some special magics, he had the ability to go into a person's mind, into their dreams, and to pretty much sort out whatever is going on in their minds. If they're sick or troubled, 
anything of that nature, he has the ability to go in and sort of unweave everything going wrong inside that person's mind. And he had said that he had been doing this for for a while, and he was he was really cool, and I really liked him. We're gonna do a little bit of a lore break here, so I'm call it a lore break, kind of like a dragon break, but a lore break. The thing that he's doing, and you actually get to experience this in a quest in Skyrim, it's something called the Dream Stride. Now, the Dream Stride um, was done by the priest of Vermina, the Daedric Prince of Nightmares and Dreams. Now, they ha- the priest of Vermina had this special power that they could actually go into the dreams of of sleeping individuals, and on the unofficial Elder Scrolls pages, they have an article on the Dream Stride where it goes, For over a thousand years, the priests of Vermina have been masters of the art of alchemy. The complexity and potency of their mixtures are nothing short of legendary. These alchemical treasures are so highly sought after that a single draught showing up on the black market can command sums of tens of thousands of septums. Man, I really wish I would have had that lizard make me one so I could sell it. Anyway, of the numerous potions that have surfaced to date, Vermina's Topor is perhaps the most impressive. A single sip of this... Oh, my. I can't even pronounce that word. What is that word, babe? Where? Vicious? Is it vicious? Oh, man. Viscous. Viscous. I think it's viscous. Liquid places the inhibitor in a state known as the dream stride. This condition allows the subject to experience the dream of an other as if they were actually there. The subject becomes an integral part of the dream, believing as if they belong there. To any other entities in the dream state, the subject will be mistaken for the dreamer. The subject will even find his mannerism, speech patterns, and knowledge expanded appropriately. To an observer, after the subject is inhibited by the potion, they will appear to vanish as the subject traverses distances within the dream, and they will also be traversing distances in the actual world. And actually, in Skyrim, when you do this, you actually appear through the dream stride to pass almost through another plane of existence because you appear behind a gate because you can travel in the dream itself. Uh, when the Topor's effect has expired, the subject will fade back into reality in the exact location projected within the Dream Stride. Some Dream Strides have transported their subjects a few feet, and some have appeared thousands of miles from their origin in a matter of minutes. It is noted that the Dream Stride is highly dangerous and presents the subject with numerous pitfalls. In certain dreams, subjects have been exposed to life-threatening scenarios such as sickness, violence, and even death. In most cases, the subject simply fades back to our world without harm, but in some instances, the subject never reappeared and was assumed to have expired or the subject appeared deceased. It's also quite possible that the subject could reappear in precarious or hazardous location in reality, kind of like appearing in front of a bus. You could say precarious, but not viscous. Yes. 
I don't know. Even though the location appeared safe within the dream stride, Vermeer's topor is as mysterious and elusive as the priest that created it. It is unknown whether this unique transport mechanism is a result of the topor itself or simply the odd machinations of Vermina. But the potential for using the dream stride to penetrate seemingly impassable obstacles certainly outweighs its mysterious nature. Yes. Are you making fun of the words I can pronounce versus the ones I can't? Yes, actually, thoroughly over here. If anyone could could see or hear me, I'm over here laughing hysterically at at my beautiful, wonderful husband, who I love so very dearly. It's only because I get all tongue-tied on simple words, but I can get mechanations <laughs> and, and, and stuff of that. The harder words don't trip me up. It's the simple ones, <laughs> like the and but. Yes. So the interesting thing is it looks like the dreamwalker we had here has made a pact with Vermina itself. He doesn't seem to drink any of the topor, but the topor allows people to enter the dream stride who don't necessarily have a connection with Vermina at all. So it's actually really neat because when we meet this guy, he does, um, we do a quest for him and a lot of the stuff that's happened to his village is simply because someone is trying to take revenge on him for not being able to save their wife. Their wife was dying. He entered the dream stride trying to save her, but was unable to do it. And therefore, they passed away. The husband, so consumed by grief and anger at the passing of his wife, has brought the trolls in on the Argonians' village of Darkwater Crossing in an attempt to kill the Dreamwalker. So, it's a really neat quest. But we actually have to use the Dreamwalker in order to, I guess, help save Yoron. Because he has to go in because he was poisoned with a Daedric poison. So we have to travel along with the Dream strider into the dreams of king yorn and it is a really really neat quest so we finished off the story of east march but we did see a couple of neat things that we wanted to mention why don't let, let's let's talk about the um let's talk about the the hot springs why don't why don't you go ahead and talk about this one for a bit so we, we wind up on this one area where there's these three three Nords. There's this, there's two guys and a girl who are sitting in these hot springs, and they look like they're just junk as a skunk, lounging around in these hot springs. And now I immediately started laughing as soon as they started talking, because I knew what was going to happen, because I overheard it in the chat so i'm laughing and ag's going what what's so funny i'm like just wait you're you're gonna love the reference that's made with this quest so there's these these three people that are sitting in this hot spring and they're having a grand old time and we start talking to them and they're like well one of our buddies ran off to go find us some awesome amazing super special bath salts but they haven't come back yet and that's when I started laughing. <laughs> Probably shouldn't be laughing, but it was a, it's a good reference. So they need us to go find, you know, bad salts. You know what's actually surprising? Other games like Warcraft were almost, like they were very 
almost everything they did final fantasy 14 same thing like if you read the quest titles they were very into pop culture references and it's one of the things that i like and yet in eso i would have thought was out of place but the way they hide it in this game like they still have them and i've actually seen multiple but they hide it in such a way that it doesn't feel like it breaks the lore but still makes references to modern culture and it's kind of neat and this is one of those instances so we have to go find this this nord guy's friend to see if she's able to make these bath salts so we go to this little alchemy place and there's a note saying that well you know i gathered these specific ingredients and then i went here to grind the bath salts so we find the ingredients gather them together and then we go up to this this like grinding mill or something of that nature and i'm still laughing on the inside and an egg's still confused so we go up to this to the grinding mill and as soon as we walk in we go to interact and start grinding our materials when this nord female pops up out of nowhere starts attacking us because she's trying to eat our faces <laughs> and for anyone who doesn't follow modern news and i don't know why you would there was an incident in i guess florida where a new drug that they just were calling bath salts that people were taking was causing people to go a little insane and apparently like one of the people like attacked a homeless guy and it, it was a very sad story but attacked the homeless guy ate like half of his face so naturally i told my wife hey let's go down to florida because she hates cannibals and i thought it was funny but uh yeah there that really was an incident where people were taking this very dangerous drug that was causing them to literally go insane and they were attacking and eating people and this happened a couple times it wasn't just one guy it happened three or four times i think so craziness craziness indeed so when i figured out that this was where the quest was heading i i thought it was funny not not that what happened was funny but this particular quest was funny because of what they were referencing because elder scrolls has always been dark and that's it's just something that's so dark what do I say? There is no happy ending in Elder Scrolls. There's just sad and less sad. <laughs> that's that's how it goes. All right. So the final thing I want to mention in East March is we found a group of vampires who did not want to feed on people. And we had to stop help stop a master vampire from creating an army of mindless blood fiends. It's actually really neat to find this vampire because we actually found him we we see as we enter these hot springs we find a lady running up to us screaming for help so we talk to her and she's like i need help i need help those blood fiends are after me you gotta go help my friend and i mean this lady you wouldn't want her to be your friend just just say so you're like, why? What happened to your friend? She's like, I, I had to do it. I had to push her over. It was the only way that they, I could escape. So she literally pushed her friend over so her friend would fall and become the slower target for the, uh, the mindless blood fiend vampires. If you don't know what the blood fiends are, the blood fiend vampires are almost equivalent to ghouls. Um, yeah. They're, that's ghouls. 
there are vampires who are consumed by the bloodlust to the point where they've lost all sense of self. They have no real mental intelligence. It's all... Honestly, if you've ever seen the movie... Uh, um, what is that movie I really like? It's the Rage Virus. 28 Days Later. Thank you. That disease caused the people just to go insane. Almost like bath salts, really. They, they go insane where while they're still vampires, they're not the sophisticated. They can't control themselves all. They're just angry and they want to feed. And that's what the blood fiends are. So we actually find this vampire who, when you go to save her friend, he's standing out in the shade going to this other lady like, you've been bitten. You gotta come to me, because once the sun comes up, you're gonna be in a world of pain, and I really don't want to be out here. <laughs> so you talk to him, and he looks like a full-fledged rank four vampire. He's got the white, he's got... He looks like a vampire, but he's working with these other vampires that he's rescued. Honestly, this is like a full-out Twilight reference. Come on, he's the he's the Colin dad, like where he won't feed on people. Like, it, Yeah, that's what it is. But notice he actually knew the name, just just putting it out there. I want to highlight that everyone knows that I am indeed married, and as a husband I have to suffer through this, or else the eternal torture that would ensue <laughs> from the anger of a wife. So I have indeed seen these movies. But that's what it is. It's, it's a Twilight reference, because he doesn't want to feed. He's trying to show these vampires the... A more peaceful way but as such we have to go and we have to stop his father who he is estranged from because the father is creating these blood fiends to attack and take over all of east march so really cool quest you're actually given a choice now when you when you talk to this vampire he's again trying to get this argonian to go back to the house and she is just like, no, I don't think so. Leave me alone. I don't want nothing to do with you. But he's trying to save her. So eventually we get him to get her back to his house. And she's in a cage because he's not sure if she's going to turn or not. And he's telling us that we have to fix what his, what his father has done. Because if not, all hope is lost. So when we go outside, Ag and I were greeted with this vegetarian vampire's father's servant who was like listen my master wants to talk to you he wants to see what you're about so how about you travel 10 feet that way to the other mansion that just so happens to be right next door to my master's house and talk to him see what he's about you know they give you the choice do you want to be a vegetarian vampire or do you just want to be a bloodthirsty monster vampire? Well, of course, Ag and I are like, no, this isn't, this isn't going to fly with us. So we got to, you know, take him down, knock him down a few pegs. Well, that was the choice of he sent us to go rescue some hunters, the, the son, because he knew his father was going to go turn them. So we kind of got waylaid, so the choice was go talk to him or go save the hunters. You had to make a choice. And I figured that if we went to speak to him, the hunters would die, so we had to go save them. So, 
needless to say, I would go out and find that quest in East March and do it. It is a very neat quest. Now, we had finished each East March and went down into one of my favorite zones in Skyrim, which is the Rift. The first place we actually end up visiting is Shore's Stone. And there's an issue happening at Shore's Stone. It is being invaded by the Reachmen. Those wacky, wacky, Hagraven-loving men of... That you often encounter in Skyrim around, uh, around Markarth. So, we actually have to go in there and we have to liberate their mine and figure out what they're trying to be after. But the real... The real story is, you know, that's kind of self in there, you know, self-explanatory. You have to say, find out what they're up to. Now, the interesting story doesn't come till a little later. So after you liberate Shore's Stone, you're following the trail of the Reachmen. And in, in on your way across the Vale, you find a... They tell you that there's more of these Reachmen attacking a sacred grove. So you're going over that way. But along the way, we discovered a rogue who noticed that the Reachmen had taken over a mine and asked for our help. So we put on the disguise and she said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go get myself captured. I need you to find out what they are doing here. Now this is, I really wish you could see Thais's face because her mouth's hanging open because she now just remembers what I'm, I'm going into. This was a very dark, dark quest. It gets really interesting. So as we're sneaking around, we're finding the different stuff. The Reachmen are indeed collecting slaves and sacrificing them. I, ha I have to preface this for a moment. Before we get to this quest, we noticed something after we finished the quest before it. Where when we, when we came outside, there was that cart full of bodies. And we had both said to each other, like, do you see this cart? I mean, this, this cart is full of dead bodies, right? Because nothing up to this point had, had mentioned anything about anything that was going on. It was just an entire cart covered with a tarp full of dead bodies. We didn't know why no no idea right go ahead indeed now see the main reason like that we're we're trying to find is we found a companion's guild hall and apparently the reachman has resurrected an ancient evil the giant sigmore sigmer yeah sigmer sigmer um and he is causing havoc across the land so that's the main story you're trying to follow throughout the rift get into that um but along the way of heading there that's where we find this mine so when we're sneaking around we're, we're searching around we're finding all the clues we can we meet up with the rogue if you will and she's dressed as a prisoner she's like i got myself caught um and we tell her what they're doing that they're actually sacrificing these people all the miners these these reachmen are, are killing them for their hag ravens so she goes Okay, I was only managed to be able to pick the or steal the key from the one lady, but it's only to her private house. She has the key to the mine. You need to go get it. So we sneak over. We go into her private house and we set up an ambush for her. When she, you know, is there, we attack her, we kill her, 
and we get the mine key. On our way back, we found out something bad had happened. As we go up, apparently they had rounded up all the prisoners, including the quest um, giver, uh, a female dark elf, and had taken him to the mine except for one. And when you talk to her, she's like, they took them all. They took them all into the mine to sacrifice to the hag ravens. And apparently the hag ravens have a taste, if you will, for human eyeballs. That's what they like. So she's like, the only reason why they didn't take me was because the cart was too full. They're coming back for me. So you need to go save them. As we go into the mine, the main reason why I really wanted to mention this quest is one of the complaints I had heard was bad voice acting. Bad voice acting. I gotta tell you, anyone who says that needs to go find this quest. Because as we go in, we find her. But uh, I don't think we got there quite in time. As we get up to her, she has bandages over her eyes. She's. We got there a little late. And as you go up to talk to her, she is screaming. And I'm not talking like the normal screaming you hear from the voice acting. This lady did it good. Her voice acting was actually so good that it gave me goosebumps. My, my skin felt like it was crawling as she goes on about... she. Don't touch me! Don't touch me! And she and she's freaking out. She's like, "Oh, it's you! Do you see what they've done? Look what they've done to me!" And she's she's freaking out. And it's just whoever acted that did such an amazing job. And it it was just I uh, I can't even. All right, you you go. They actually had taken her, held her down, and the Hag Raven plucked her eyes out while she was still alive and ate them. And the voice acting was amazing because this woman is terrified. You see the bloody bandages over her eyes. It is absolutely devastating. And hearing it is, is insanely creepy. Like, her voice actor was amazing. Because she, the way she screams, you really do feel like she was tortured for hours and her eyes ripped out of her head. It was insanely awesome. So we actually took revenge upon all the hag ravens and led her to safety. And actually, she goes back to Shore Stone and I want to go visit Shore Stone and talk to her again. Because she says, if you ever, you know, make your way back, that's where I'll go because I'll never see again. You know, so we have. I want to go back and see if I can find her and see what happens. So that was really neat. And actually, we travel across the rift. It's really neat because we're over in a town called uh, Nibble, Nibbleton, which is a town that doesn't exist in Skyrim. Um, it had vanished after, before the start of the Third Age, I think. And we also get to visit around where. Um, oh, what is the name of that town? Iverstead. Iverstead is where we're at right now. We're adventuring around the Iverstead region, and it is really cool. I love the rift. Yeah, birch trees everywhere. I love the rift, and I actually can't wait. As soon as we're done with the podcast, we're going to go back in there and continue adventuring in the rift. But uh, I think that is where we're going to end our tales section for this evening. We had made it all the way across the very top of the rift and we're over around Iverstead. We still have the southern section. We actually technically haven't even made it into Riften yet. 
Um, so come back next week and find out where we uh, continue. Now, before we end the tales section, let's let's talk about our characters. Tell us what level you are. Have you tried anything else? You got any new skills? I am level 44. And Ag is level 45. Oh, you are going to get it so bad after the show. <laughs> I, I haven't really done anything different. Oh, wait. Actually, I have. I have. I finally broke down and I got Mage Light. From the Mage's skill, the Mage's Guild line. And so far, I am enjoying it. N- not even because it gives the crit bonus. I'm actually just enjoying it because this is a floating orb that goes around my body. <laughs> it's the only reason I like it. I haven't really noticed, I haven't noticed a significant increase in my crits or in my damage dealt. But I, I do like seeing my-, my sparkly little orb floating around my person. It's awesome. Okay. It's your turn, jerk. <laughs> well, while while waiting on her, because she was taking naps today and things of that nature, where I couldn't really play, but I was still playing, that one nap was long enough for me to hit 45. I wasn't actively trying to level. I was fishing, and I had to kill bears that were around my fish, which, yeah. So that... that tipped me over to 45 so i'm now 45 but in this time yeah she's threatening me over here so we may not have any more podcasts because i very well may be dead i've actually switched up my entire playstyle again last last uh last week i had been using a bow mostly and i was wearing all light armor and medium armor i have once again switched up my my build as is what i normally do and I have switched out all of my light and heavy armor, or all my light and medium armor, for one piece of each, and the rest is all heavy armor again. I've actually stowed away my greatsword, and I pulled out a sword and a shield. And I've been playing with the sword and board Templar, and I'm actually really kind of enjoying it. Um, I'm not doing as much damage, but again, I don't have near as many traits in there. I'm actually working on the sword and board damage, which will increase my damage by about 6%. Um, And I need to get my levels up so I can get shield bash, because I hear that's just insane damage, really. But uh, I've been playing around with sword and board, and so far I'm I'm really liking it. I'm actually wearing all imperial-styled armor, so I look sexy. And it's golden, so again, sexy. I'm wearing a imperial short sword and a altmer styled shield which is again golden so i look i just look like a golden saint at this point and it's it's really cool and i'm actually liking i'm actually running with two abilities from the sword and board line which is i've morphed it to ransack uh which is the puncture which is the taunt and it also adds um armor armor um, penetration i believe the other ability, which is I ran out of skill points for, is low low slice. I've been running that as well. That that's another one of those abilities that adds a little bit extra damage as well as a uh, armor penetration as well. So I'm really ripping through armor here. I don't think they stack, however, which is a problem. So I'm probably going to get rid of low slice and bring in another ability. Um, but it's 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 going it's going good. I like it. So I'm still wearing one piece of. Uh, 
cloth armor, one piece of medium to level those up as well as get the benefits. But I'm definitely all heavy armor again. And I was able to save up enough money to get my my pack horse, my uh what what are what is the, what are they called in game? They're not pack horses, they're uh the one with the ten carrying capacity. I, I don't remember what they Draft horse, thank you. And I named him Franklin. Yes, that is an inside joke for me and my wife. His name's Franklin. It's the best horse ever. Um, and I started feeding him, so now I'm completely broke. So, Tales of Tamriel listeners, feel free to send me money so I can continue to feed my horse, because I need money for my horse. He's hungry. So that's my character now. I still have a bow for range, um, and I think I might keep it there, but I am leveling the sword and board as an option for now. And again, once I max out all my crafting, I'm going to respec and then we'll be able to play with it some more. Um, I'm currently running, I think it's 18 stamina, 18 magicka, 8 health. And if any higher level veteran players can confirm this for me, are you able to max out your, your like overcharge your weapon damage and stuff by just, because I was thinking about, for, even if I go a damage route, is to drop all my points into health and then just put nothing but uh, stamina and magicka enchants on my armor, even if I plan on going a damage route, which I probably will instead of a tanking route. Should you put trait points elsewhere? Or like I see a lot of people just shoving it all into health and then getting overcharged through... Uh, Enchant. So I'm really kind of curious. So if anyone has that information, let me know in game or send me an email because I'm really curious. I want to see some number crunches on this. Um, but yeah, that's where we're at. So that ends our tales section for another week. Right now, we are going to move on to the next section, which is the dramatic reading. And this week, continuing the trend we have been, we are doing a series of lore books. That we found in game. Um, yes, the first set of lore books from the Mages Guild that we decided to read from is called Daedric Princes. This is an eight-part series, and we are on the third of this eight-part series with the book Modern Heretics, a study of Daedra worship in the Empire. So Thais, take it away. Modern Heretics, the author is Hadiris of Godelsfond. Daedra worship is not prohibited by law in Cyrodiil. Primarily, this is a result of the Imperial Charter granted the Mage's Guild, permitting the summoning of Daedra. Nonetheless, chapel and public opinion is so strongly against Daedra worship that those who practice Daedric rituals do so in secret. However, Opinions about Daedra worship differ wildly in other provinces. Even in Cyrodiil, traditional opinions have changed greatly over the years, and some communities survive which worship Daedra. Some more traditional Daedra worshippers are motivated by piety and personal conviction. Many modern Daedra worshippers are motivated by a lust for arcane power. In particular, questing heroes of all stripes seek after the fabled Daedric artifacts for their potent combats and magical benefits. I personally have discovered one community 
worshipping the Daedra Lord Azura, Queen of Dawn and Dusk. A researcher curious about Daedra worship might research in several ways. Through a study of the literature, through exploration and discovery of ancient, Daedra, of ancient Daedric shrines, through questioning local informants, and through questioning worshippers themselves. I used all these means to discover the Shrine of Azura. First, I read books. References like this one may provide a helpful general background concerning Daedric shrines. For example, my research has led me to understand that, in Cyrodiil, Daedric shrines are generally represented by statues of Daedra lords, are generally situated, situated in wilderness locations far from settlements, that each shrine generally has associated with it a community of worshippers, often referred to as a coven, that shrines have associated with them a particular time, often a day of the week, when a Daedra lord might be solicited, that Daedra Lord often will not deign to respond unless they regard a petitioner of sufficient prowess or strength of character, that they will only respond if given the proper offering. The secret of which offering, often known only to the community of worshippers, and that, in return for the completion of some task or service, the Daedra Lords will often undertake to offer an artifact of power to a successful quester. Then I questioned locals with an intimate knowledge of the wilderness. Two classes of informants I found especially useful, well-traveled hunters and adventurers, who might come across shrines in their travels, and scholars of the Mages' Guild. In the case of the Shrine of Azura, both sources were profitable. I discovered a Chadenhall hunter who had chanced across a strange epic statue in his travels. The statue was of a woman with outstretched arms, in one hand she held a star, in the other hand she held a crescent moon. He had shunned the statue out of superstitious fear, but had marked the location in memory. Far north of Chadenhall, northwest of Lake Arius, high in the Jeral Mountains. Then, proceeding to the local mages' guild with a description of the statue, I was able to confirm from its description the identity of the Daedra Lord worshipped. Having discovered the location of the shrine, I visited it and discovered there was a community of worshippers. Because of the strength of opinion against Daedra worship, the worshippers were, at first, reluctant to admit their identity. But once I had won their trust, they were willing to divulge me the secrets of the times when Azura would hear petitions, from dusk to dawn, and that the offering required by Azura was glow dust, a substance obtained from the will-o'-wisp. I am, of course, nothing more than a chapelman and scholar. So it did not lie within my power to find a will-o'-wisp to obtain glow dust, nor am I certain that Azra would have found me worthy to make such an offering, even if I had proffered it. But I was assured that if I had been able to make such an offering, and if it had been accepted, Azra would have given me some sort of quest, which, if completed, might have earned me the reward of Azra's star, a daedric artifact of legendary magical powers. I have since heard rumors of the existence in Cyrodiil of other daedric shrines, the daedric lords to which they are dedicated, and the daedric artifacts that might be won by questing heroes. Hercene the Huntsman, for example, is linked in legend to the Savior's Hide, a powerful enchanted armor. The sword, Volendrong, is associated with Malakath, Lord of Monsters. 
and the eponymously named Mace of Malik Ball is also thought to be the object of Daedra worship. Other Daedra lords, their shrines and worshippers, remain to be discovered in Cyrodiil by earnest and persistent researchers. Hmm. You know what's kind of interesting is this book is almost word for word the what you have to do for a quest in Oblivion. You actually have to kill the Will-O-Wisp, you have to present the dust. I think it's part of the main quest line, actually. Um, and, and the one thing I really like about the the world is i don't know if this was just an oversight or if it was intentionally put there but the last line the sword valandrung it, it is incorrect because the the daedric artifact is actually a two-handed mace for malakath i don't believe it's a sword it's actually supposed to be a mace and you actually get it in skyrim um but one thing that i know the lore masters actually do is they write contradictions in their lore because it's supposed to feel real like it's coming from a person's perspective in the game not just the game in the world so sometimes scholars are wrong i mean look at uh pretty much everyone before um christopher columbus the world wasn't flat but i bet everyone who wrote about it said the world was flat i mean that that's i, I kind of like it really does make the game world feel like it's a real living thing because of the errors in the books so i like it i like it a lot so moving on to our next section the community spotlight this week for a community spotlight i wanted to actually do a call out to the elder scrolls community each week i try to, to deliver some cool things that the community is doing to, you know to help spread the word of this amazing world of elder scrolls that we all love Sadly, I'm running out of people to spotlight. <laughs> I try to keep up with everyone and seek out new Elder Scrolls theme entertainment, but I have hit a dry spot. So here's what I need from our listeners. If you're a listener and know of an awesome Elder Scrolls theme, you know, vlog, blog, podcast, fan site, etc., please email the show and let us know so we can go out and check it out and, and uh, possibly feature them in this section. Second, if you own one of these aforementioned forms of entertainment and would like to guest on our show for an episode, chat about Elder Scrolls, Elder Scrolls Online, and then plug your project, please contact us in the same manner. I really do love this section and I want to keep it going, but I need the community's help to do so. So let's make this the best community best gaming community out there all right moving on to our next section which will be our guild spotlight as always we actually have a fairly large guild now i think last i looked at 115 plus members or something like that um so i want to say if anyone's interested in joining our friends and family guild for the fans of tales of tamriel you can whisper or send an in-game mail to at Agelos, uh, that's A-G-G-E-L-O-S-R, at Tear Eater, T-E-A-R-E-A-T-E-R, -E -E for an invite to the guild. Um, we are definitely looking for people who just like to hang out and run dungeons with us, because I can't, I can't put it all on our poor rent-a-kit, so we need more tanks, so that we can have more people to run dungeons with. Um, as we're getting closer to veteran rank stuff, I know we're definitely going to want to start, you know, running dungeons and stuff like that. And I prefer to run with guildies than pugs. So, uh, yeah, 
Ebon Heart Pact. Um, also, for those who want to PvP with us in Cyrodiil, we are representing the Ebon Heart Pact on the Hope's Fire campaign. Blood for the Pact. So that is our guild spotlight for this week. Nothing really newsworthy coming out. We're going to be doing a uh, another guild PvP event in the future. We will probably highlight it next week when we finish the plans. Next section, we have our emails and community involvement. So, Thais, why don't you go ahead and take us through this? All right, our first email is uh, from Feral. Okay, I mean iTunes review is from Feral. Amazing podcast and people, five stars. I am really glad that you guys take the time to create such a great podcast. I am a new Hooked fan, but catching up fast with the old episodes. For everyone that wants to listen to a very informative and passionate podcast about about TES lore and universe, there is no better place to be. Thank you, guys. Let's see. Next is an email... Yes. Yes. Okay. The next two are emails. <laughs> the first one is from Nate Langson, I think. Okay. Hi, guys. Nate here from London, Dragon Knight Missa Missa on the EU server. Enjoyed your discussion on housing in the last episode a lot, as it was something I'd been thinking about lots recently. I was the same in Skyrim with, with regards to having a well organized house. My main one was in Solitude, where I kept my hundreds of cheese wheels in a basement. The same basement a friend called his dead wives room. He had issues, I think, with his in-game wives. Anyway, I had thought a good solution to the future housing equation would be to have apartment zones. There would be a large, castle-like structure that could feasibly have so many rooms you'd never know how many there were from the outside. Hence, they could take up a finite amount of space on the world map in a new zone, but with near limitless space for apartments on the inside. Guilds, perhaps, could erect their own and be taxed for it. Maybe members of the guilds could contribute to this. And as such, guild housing would be, more, would be more advanced or offer greater storage than standard housing available to everyone else. Would be interested to hear your thoughts on this. Also, have you thought about doing a show more than once per week? Your long shows are great, but I wondered if there was room for a shorter show in the middle. Perhaps even just the 20 to 30 minutes recapping quests you've completed or lore books discovered. Something along those lines. Keep up the great work. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's hit this up. First off, I think every house should have a dead wives room. That's important. Um, and actually, this is one thing we talked about. This was similar to what Final Fantasy XI did, where... You would walk into a zone like it, it had like this big it you know it's a static painted image if you will but you could see like this big castle if you will and when you walked in you were just instantly ported to a room um i mean that is one option you could do that was final fantasy 11 housing i know some other housing was similar to that whereas in even even if they only had one static house like i would imagine if if they were to let's just say that we dropped Skyrim into ESO. Th that apartment style housing would be very similar. Whereas and everyone can buy that house in solitude, but that as soon as you open up the door, you're in your instance. Um, honestly, out of all the housing ones mentioned, I won't say it's my least favorite, but my least favorite is the being able to place your house anywhere. 
And that's only because I love the lore of this place so much, so I'd hate to see every flat space of ground taken up by a player house. That would just kill immersion for me. Um, other games I like that, but this one I don't because the way the world is, the, the lore doesn't attribute to that. So, I don't know. What do, what do you think? I think it's an interesting idea. Like I, I like the idea. But the reason it makes me sad is because I want to be able to build a house that's my house. You know, I want to style it, I want to, I want to decorate the, the walls, and I want to choose the door, and whether there's towers, and whether I have a greenhouse, and whether I have a dead wife's basement. I want to be able to choose all that. I know that was one of the big complaints in Final Fantasy XI, because they employed the same style, this exact style down to the T. It was the sense of being feeling disconnected because you just walked into a room. It's similar to uh, the inns in Final Fantasy XIV where you walk in and it's your inn room. You have your little armoire in the corner that hold all your stuff. You know, you have your summoning bell over there. All the rooms are essentially the same. Even if you could manipulate them, it, it's still... like I, I feel like I'd like to see the whole house as well as the way they designed this game to be community-oriented. I would almost like to see the other people's houses even if it's just in a limited point of view to see what they built because i like sandboxy games I, I hate full sand parks but i like what the the new term the sand park where they give you it's a theme park game but they give you sandbox elements such as housing which is really neat where you can go in and see other people's creations and i think that would be kind of neat but i mean if they went this way would i be disappointed probably but i would much rather see it than nothing because i i would like to have that virtual space that's mine that's my only thing because i had one of these what they were called in 11 final fantasy 11 was mog houses it, it really did feel just like the in room you walked in you could do your own stuff but you couldn't invite anyone in it, it just felt like a place where you wanted to go when you wanted to hide you know I, I'm not a fan of the apartment style. While it does solve the the issue of, you know, how do we how do we do lore-wise and space, it's one of my least favorite ways of implementing houses. Because I have seen it in other games, and Final Fantasy XI even complained of it. So that's why they changed it in fourteen was they wanted people to have a more tangible neighborhood, if you will. Even if you couldn't build your houses like you could in the Hearthfire expansion of Final Fantasy XIV, you could still buy a type of house, you could change a few little things about it, place it, and that was your neighborhood. Then you could look out and see everyone else in your neighborhood. And I, I, I like that. The next one that we have is another email from Tobias. Hi, I really like your show, and I will praise you guys in a later email, but I'm listening to episode 13 and just had to give some input to your discussion. You were talking about the ability to solo dungeons, and I believe Thais was pretty against being able to solo old content. I was. If this is not the case, never mind, but my argument for being able to is to experience things you can't do otherwise because no one else does them. I'm currently veteran rank 1, and have been for a week or two now, and I recently tried playing World of Warcraft again. This is Mists of Pandaria, and I'm a tank with pretty shabby gear, but I am able to solo old raids, and experience stuff like Tempest Key, and defeating those raids that were actual 
before my time. The problem is there are very few players who want to do old raids, and that I can experience and admire the fine work that Blizzard has done. Even though it's several years old, it's amazing. I enjoy the past lore, I enjoy the roleplay, and so on. And the only reason why I can do this is because I am level 90. These raids are hard, and the hard work many people have put in, I would never be able to experience if we could not solo old content. I think that was the argument I was attempting to make. It. I remember back when I was trying to farm... Um, farm to finish my legendary uh, thunder fury you needed a certain number of people to go into the raid like the the very first boss in there required one person to manipulate and one person to hold the dragon you needed minimum two people now of course i had uh friends to help me i don't know if we were dating at the time were we yeah okay well i had you and i had my buddy vadina who i could always call on to help me but if I were to stand out, like I remember before I could get you guys to help me standing out in in, uh, in, in a city going, I want to go do this dungeon, who wants to do it? You'd be lucky to get anybody because no one wants to go back unless they're specifically going for something such as a transmog piece of gear. But back before that, transmog wasn't available, so really there wasn't a reason to go back unless you really wanted to. And it does make it hard. Now, I, I do see this problem happening with say craglorn in a year's time when they've released multiple vr ranks and craglorn being the first is obviously gonna fall to the wayside because the progressive raiders will have already gotten everything they wanted out of it and will have moved on whereas other you know people start later may not have the ability to go back and do it i i see where he's making it but See, I, I'm an achievement person, and I, I'm, I'm a perfectionist. So in WoW, whenever someone was advertising for an older piece of content, I'm the person who would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll go. Yeah, take me. I'll go. I want to go. Yeah, let's go. That would be me. But I've also, I, I enjoy doing older content. And even if I could solo something, I never had the wherewithal to go back and do it on my own. I just, I didn't. It wasn't as fun. So I never wanted to go back and solo it, even if I could, because it's just, it's not as fun. I would rather go with a group of people. With the exception of when you're going back to farm mounts or something, then you don't want anyone around you because the second they win it, then you just hate them. But that is true, because if I had been trying to farm the flame talons and they dropped and I was with someone else, oh, I would have hunted them down and I would have just chopped off their toes all of them yeah now i you know here's the thing i get where you're coming from because i do like the idea of stuff never being able to be soloed because it does create that community but even being an achievement whatever you are for lack of better word because we're a family show um even being that eventually you would have the achievements and i mean unless they were a friend like friends are one thing but if i saw someone quoting for a raid if i didn't have all the achievements yeah i'd go but eventually let's face it humans are selfish beings i mean we are um most people will not go back unless there's something in it for them whether it's nostalgia they're still fulfilling a need within themselves just to see something they haven't seen in years 
or they're after a specific item or an achievement, but eventually you have all those achievements. Like, uh, just for instance, the, the SAR 3 Drakes, um, back in... I farm those like crazy. I have every achievement. So whenever I saw a random person in in trade shouting for it, I had no desire. I had everything I wanted. I had every achievement possible. What was the point of going back for me? You know? Because there was literally nothing that I wanted. And yes, it is a very selfish thing to do, but these games... Games generally are about... Especially if you're shouting in chat when you don't really know the person or have no physical ties or, or friendship ties. If you can't get something out of it, why waste your time doing it? And that's where I could see the being able to solo is being able to go back and do some of the stuff that you need a group for after you've outleveled it just to experience it. Don't know. Okay, well, that was all of our emails and, and uh, iTunes reviews for the week, so we're going to move on to the final part of our show, The Closing Thoughts. So, Thais, tell us your final thoughts for this episode of Tales of Tamriel. Um, let's see. I had, I had a good time. I really did. But then, I, I always have a good time. <laughs> I always thought I, I enjoyed reading the book because this one was considerably easier than a lot of the books that I've been reading recently, which which is good for my brain. And I had a good laugh, uh, you know, picking on you and how you cannot read, you know, the simplest words. But um, and I yet love can you. still get the really hard ones, which is weird. What a you are so strange. Indeed. All right. Well, I want to thank my co-host for joining me this evening. As for myself, um, I'm really looking for some more news from Zenimax. So, Zenimax, please give us some more news on Craglorn. I really want to start seeing some news come out about the uh, Road Ahead, the articles that they place. Uh, I want to. I want to hear about uh, their their plans for the Dark Brotherhood and stuff. I want to hear about. I think it's about time they start teasing us. I really want to see teasers. I would prefer weekly teasers, even if they're like, they give us a uh, a disclaimer saying this is still in development and subject to change. I would love to see a weekly teaser about what they're working on in the game. Like, I want to see, like, even their development process for the housing because they want to do it. I want to see what plans they have, you know? Offer us what plans you're currently working on, and I want to see it. And I mean, a lot of people, you'll get a lot of community feedback going, these are what our plans are, you know, subject to change. And you'll hear feedback from the community. You will. And I really want to see that. And the thing I love most about the Zenimax developers is they are, they are so far very, very open. And I, I've been looking at some um, other development companies and stuff like that. And uh, one particular, the landmark EverQuest Next developers have a weekly round developer roundtable and it's about random stuff um i would like to see something like that from the developers where they let us know what they're doing because the eq next landmark guys i love that concept i would love to see the zenimax developers come on and just give us little teasers weekly or, or bi-weekly about what they're working on that would be amazing and uh, give us more stuff to talk about the game and more things to hype it up. Because, you know, there's a lot of other MMOs coming out now. And 
we want to attract the players to a game that we all love. So that's my final thoughts. So I want to thank everyone for listening to this podcast. If you wish to help support the podcast, feel free to donate via the PayPal link on our website. If you wish to contact us with questions, comments, criticisms, the website for our show is talesoftamriel.com, or you can email the show at podcast at talesoftamriel.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at talesoftamriel or on Facebook at facebook.com slash talesoftamrielpodcast. Also, feel free to rate and subscribe to us via iTunes. That helps us out a lot, guys, and we will read all the... uh, all the five-star reviews and stuff like the reviews that we get on there. We do love them so much. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of Tales of Tamriel. Have a good week, everybody.